Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, here we go. Stand by. Three, two, one. The thinking atheist. It's not a person. It's a symbol. An idea. The population of atheists in this country is going through the roof. Rejecting faith. Pursuing knowledge. Challenging the sacred. If I tell the truth, it's because I tell the truth. Not because I put my hand on a book and made a wish. And working together for a more rational world. Take the risk of thinking for yourself. Much more happiness, truth, beauty, and wisdom will come to you that way. Assume nothing. Question everything. And start thinking. This is the Thinking Atheist Podcast. Hosted by Seth Andrews. From the about page of her website, quote, things were rough when I was a kid. I was abused at home, so I was weird at school. I was weird at school, so I didn't have friends. Literally, I had nobody. But what I did have was a library card. Well, that's an intriguing way to start today's conversation. Cindy Etler speaks candidly about an extremely troubled youth. Today, she has a life coaching and helping troubled youth. And so I want to talk about that. She's author of two books. One is called Dead Inside. The other, We Can't Be Friends, A True Story. And her focus is on young people. This is one of the reasons I wanted to speak to her today, because specifically, I want to get into how Many of the programs and organizations that are trying or ostensibly trying to help young people are actually making things worse, maybe even screwing them up even more. Cindy Etler, thanks so much for coming. Good to have you. Absolutely. So happy to be here. All right. So I wouldn't be doing my due diligence if I didn't start here. And this is not an accusation. We've actually talked about this before, so you know it's coming. (laughs) But we live in this world of uncredentialed people. They have a title. I'm a mental health coach. I'm a wellness coach. I'm a life coach. And you use those words, our teen life coaching. I don't know what, what's your term, whatever that is. And, you know, some are hugely credentialed and some got their training from drawings on a kitchen napkin or consulting the Maharishi or something. So when we talk about life coach, how does this apply to you? Yeah. Okay. So I started out as a teacher. I got my master's degree in education. So I was a high school teacher, loved working with kids, didn't love the BS inherent in schools. And I decided I'm just going to be a teen life coach. So I just put up a shingle and started getting clients. And then my conscience hit. I was like, I can't really be accepting money when I'm just listening to kids. So I pursued certification. I studied with a PhD in psychology who her, her expertise, her PhD is in adolescent psychology 
and also trained in the coaching protocols as put forth by the International Coaching Federation. So you can call yourself a coach as I did without getting the training, or you can get trained in how really the science of motivation and behavioral change. And that's what I now have. So I'm a certified coach. All right. Well, see, now I had to lay that out at first because mm-hmm. otherwise it's like talking to, I mean, you just never know. Is it Deepak Chopra, you know, and he right. walks in and he's like, I'm credentialed and you got to be like, well, let's go deeper. So go as deep as you want here. I know you yeah. speak candidly and openly about your past. You weren't one mm-hmm. of the popular kids. You weren't mm-hmm. one of the cool kids, but you also really felt like there was a target on your back. Is that an exaggeration or is that accurate? No, it's not an exaggeration at all. And I don't want to go too crazy deep about what therapists have explained, but I know as a kid, I was being abused at home. So I was kind of walking around with this backpack of just stuff, secrets that I couldn't tell and fears and shame. Also, I was a poor kid in Fairfield County, Connecticut, which is all money all the time. So I was different internally and externally, and the kids didn't like me because of those things. Also, as an adult, I realized, wow, I have this really wonky personality. I tell the truth too much. I can't, I I don't know if I should swear or not. I'll just say I can't BS. Okay, so I can't do the bullshit thing, right? And to be a popular kid, you have to be able to kiss ass or you have to be a douchebag and, and strike out at other kids to become top dog. I'm not capable of either. So there was all this stuff that made me on likable so if someone's coming after you i don't know that that cliche is the schoolyard bully you mm-hmm. strike me as a fighter did you retreat or did you lash out or what back then i retreated it was when i really i think it, it i probably got my weirdly i was i fought back against my stepfather so in that i was like fuck you i'm not taking this stuff from a young age but with peers who i really wanted their approval and i didn't per se, have something to fight back against, then I was like, oh, please like me. It was when I trained in boxing, when I started training in boxing, that I really got this, you cannot fuck with me. And also I went through so much stuff and got screwed over by like every faction of humanity that I was like, oh, just don't, just don't. I'm fine. I got myself. That's all I need. Uh, this is not so, in my you know, prep. Hang on. This is not in my yeah. prep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. So, so is, no, no, no. Is boxing a response to being bullied and cast out? I think it is. Some of it is my personality, right? Like I'm not a ballerina. That's not, that was never going to be my sport, you know, Um, weightlifting things that are sort of like singular focus and almost a little guyish. That's more what I like. But when I stumbled into boxing, I got to hit shit. I got to like, get this, get this out. Right. And so, listen, my octave is going up. It's just it hit the right it hit the right nerve and it met my needs. And that's what really turned me into the like just monster beast mode that I am now. (laughs) I wouldn't tangle with you. I would not. (laughs) No, don't. You You don't want to. (laughs) By the way, when it's funny, when we were talking, I I thought I feel kind of bad for you. I feel bad for all the Cindy's of the world because (laughs) you have to spell your name for everybody. Right. Because it's got that wonky Y in there. Right. Yeah. Like you yes. do it like a spelling bee. I'm Cindy C Y N D Y, right? You have to go out and do that everywhere you go. Yes. And you're taking up more airspace than anyone wants to give. Yeah. I, I got you. I got you. So, were you a juvenile delinquent? 
I mean, I was labeled as such. My behaviors would make me one, you know, officially. I mean, I was arrested for the first time at age 13. So I guess so. Okay, you throw that out and I'm trying to think how do I want to poke at that? Is it too sensitive? No, no nothing really. Arrested nothing at 13. Is- Why? Okay, so my mother... I mean, going way, way back. I think this is interesting. Like, do you want the deep dive? Well, I mean, I'm, I think what I'm yeah. doing is laying a foundation for the work yeah. you're doing in helping yeah. teens today. And I think the fact that you've yeah. been down the road helps to, I mean, I hate the word add credibility, but it helps to inform what you do. So, yeah. I mean, let's cast a broad stroke, but give me a few okay. details. What happened? Okay. So my mother married an abuser to keep a roof over her head. She, it wasn't intentional. Oh, I'm going to choose an abuser. The, the roof she chose came with a man who was abusive. I hit puberty, started really fighting back. And I kind of took my last beating at age 13. I was like, out, out of here. So I was gone. I was homeless. My mother had me arrested. So I was arrested. They brought me to the police station. They rolled my fingers through the ink. And the cop gave me a choice. You either go home with your mom or you go into foster care. I was like, fucking yeah, foster care. So, so it was a truancy thing for them. She's run away and they yeah. call the authorities yeah so i was the bad one how bad was foster care i hear the horror stories so i went to a like a homeless shelter for teens and they were looking for foster care for me but nobody in connecticut is looking for a 13 year old juvenile delinquent girl so instead of finding a foster family i got locked up in this private prison which is what my first book is about and i think the topic of our conversation the troubled teen industry stuff I got to make sure I do a re- little bit of a reversal when I say the horror stories about foster care. I yeah. am not in any way maligning the amazing people who are foster parents and foster oh, homes. Yeah. I, I get that. What I am saying is usually when we hear about it, it's because shit went down or went exactly. bad. I mean, that's fair, yep. isn't it, Cindy? Yeah, yeah. And we don't often hear about the good ones. But like yeah. on Instagram, I'll see wonderful foster parents just posting about, look how lucky I am that I've got to foster and then adopt this kid. They're, the good ones are out there. Yeah. But like you said, we don't hear about them. We don't hear about the good. Yeah. When I was um, growing up, there was a program. It may still be around. It was called Scared Straight. What they did was they took troubled youth, usually those who'd been, been involved in crime, you know, whether they're shoplifting or carjacking or whatever. I mean, they're into something that is illegal. And the solution was, quote unquote, the solution was to they would grab them, stick them in a bus, drive them to prisons. And then they would set up these inmates to come in and scare the holy shit out of them. Smart guy, you want to be a wise guy? Let me tell you something. The police can make a thousand mistakes. You can only make one mistake and you're done. You understand? What, am I here to amuse you that you smile? Yeah, it's funny. Something's funny? Something's funny with you? No. Huh? Get this smile off your face, boy. Still smiling. Let me tell you something. I'll put your fucking nose off your head. If you think somebody's going to stop me from going, they'll leave me too long. Because by the time they get here, it'll be too late. It'll be all over with. I got so much time, they can't give me no more. You understand what I'm telling you? So when you sit there, you keep that smile on your face because I'm going to hurt you. All right? Uh, They were intimidating. They were frightening. They'd bring in the most, you know, intimidating 
people and be like, this is what my life turned out like, and this is what I'm up against, and I'm going to spend my rest of my life in here, and you don't want this to happen to you. You better straighten up. And so they were literally trying to scare them straight. No one bothered at the time to consult psychologists. Uh-huh. It was just sort of a whole program based on somebody's intuition. Well, this sounds like it ought to work. And then when psychology got involved and actually did some studies, they realized that scared straight was making it worse in so yeah. many cases. Yeah. So is that like this program that I saw you mention on your website, Straight Incorporated? Can you yeah. talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, it it shares the name Scared Straight and it shares some of the tactics like horror, <laughs> but instead of it being looking at someone else and being horrified of experiencing their fate, straight strategy. And it was actually based in North Korean communist revisionist camp, like brainwashing camp where American pr- prisoners of war were brought to these camps and brainwashed into becoming communist. So the strategies used in those camps sleep deprivation, forced labor, forced confessions, um, all of these all of these strategies literally designed to break a person's will and make them desperate to, like Stockholm Syndrome, conform to the ideology of their captor. And once the person's ideology is like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to make my captor like me. They change what they believe. They change who they are. So in the case of straight, all the torture and our young like children's minds made us recite the party line to our parents. Everything that happened was my fault. I'm a hardcore drug addict, even though we had probably never done any drugs. Our parents loved hearing that. The thousands of dollars I just spent was worth it. And the program continues and recruits more parents to spend more money because the kid has been reformed. Long answer. Um, tell me if you want me to go any deeper on any of that. Yeah, I mean... I've noticed there's kind of a militarization of some of these programs. Was that your experience? Gosh, there are, there are programs, especially today that are officially military. Mine wasn't, it was early, early days. It was, um, it was more, um, it's based in a cult, a California cult synonym that developed a form of, of behavioral reform called attack therapy. And that kind of says it all. It was a, it was about kids, moving up in the ranks and gaining the right to to brutalize other kids and and make them reform talking here with cindy etler who is a um, a life coach who does a lot of work with troubled youth how would you define troubled the people that you work with i know it's a broad it's a broad you know label i just throw a big blank i don't know yeah i think i think my answer lies in the word you chose which is labeled Describing a kid as troubled is looking at that kid from an outside perspective that that isn't considering what the kid is experiencing. So I think troubled is sort of a bullshit word used to almost demonize kids. I would use the word instead struggling, like the kid is struggling with stuff. What you're seeing on the outside are behaviors that that aren't productive and that aren't positive, but they're coming from a need inside the kid, an unmet, unmet need that they're just desperately trying to meet. All right, making a note here. Trouble mm. is bullshit. Struggling. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I've just evolved my language on on the subject. Okay. So tell me about the work you're doing. Uh, just what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my work with teens is this. 
the, this is the coaching, the coaching formula is, Ooh, it's hard not to get too woo woo on this. It's basically my job is to ask kids the right question, the, the right questions, series of questions to tap into figuring out where the kid is unhappy in their life, how they would like those parts of their life to be different and then continuing to ask them questions to understand, okay, if you want better grades or you want stronger friendships or you want a better relationship with your parents, whatever it is, right? We figure out where are you unhappy? How do you want it to be instead? I continue to ask questions to understand what is currently happening in that part of your life that's fucking it up. So then we understand, oh, the problem is X. I continue to ask questions, drawing in adolescent psychology to understand, okay, what are you interested in doing to create change? What works with your personality, with the things that you would find pleasurable, that is within your intellectual capacity, external resources you have. So we draw from all that to build behavioral change in tiny little steps. But the reason it works with anybody, but especially with teenagers, is because it's driven by what they themselves want and crave. It's not driven by what some external force is telling them you should. That's never gonna work for anybody, especially for teens. They don't care what you think they should do. They care what they want. And so if you force feed it to them, it doesn't happen organically. So, yeah. Exactly. Um, tell me about some of the things you feel like teen-focused programs get wrong. And I have a feeling, you know, I, I know we could probably be here all night, but I know you have frustrations when you see certain methods, practices, ideas. What are some of the things that make you want to put your head through the sheetrock? So the biggest one is, and a friend of mine who's a lawyer who has won millions of dollars for people who are locked up in these places, he made this point. He said, out of all their strategies, this is, this is his point of view, but I can't really disagree with it. He said, out of all the strategies the program uses, there's only one that really creates the change. And that is the shock and horror of pulling a kid out of their known existence and then dropping them into this completely unknown situation. And that's the thing out of, out of all, I was in my place for 16 months. It was pure torture. But the thing that still makes me sob when I think about it is the moment where I was just left there and abandoned. And I'm in this warehouse, like full of hundreds of teenagers, like bashing their heads and bodies around. And it wasn't so much the warehouse or the teenagers. It was the, I'm 13 and I'm standing here completely alone. And I have no contact with anything, any friends, any, any context for me. So the, the kids that I work with who have been in programs, they, they say the same thing. I was pretty much fine before I went in. The fact that my parent dropped me in to the lion's den. It's not so much the lions. It's just they dropped me into the den. That's what ended, severed my relationship with them and made me go off the deep end. Probably um, such a broad spectrum of people who are the parents of yeah. struggling teens. Like, yes, you know, thank you. know you. some have tried everything that yeah. they know to do. They have operated in good faith. They are banging their heads against the wall. What do I do next? And so this is yeah. kind of a last resort to send them into yeah. a program. And then there are others who either phone it in or absentees or abusive, and they literally fucked up their kids. And this is their way of saying, all done. Bye. Yeah. You go have a yeah. nice life. Yeah. You deal with the parents of some of these kids. Do you have any thoughts of what they're going through? 
I do. I do. I, I interact with the parents minimally. It's usually parents who reach out to me. And so we hash out whether, you know, what I have to offer and their needs are a fit. Mainly my work is with the kids, but I do have a lot of understanding of what's going on for the parents. And I think that a big, a big part of what happens is the resources that are made available to parents are those kinds of programs or therapy or the inpatient treatment, like, you know, a psych hospital, that kind of thing, very biased. And I'm admitting my bias, but, but I've also found this to be the truth in my experience, what works, which is that coaching approach where it's meeting the kid neutral ground with no preconceived notion, no judgment and, and nobody's idea, but the kid's own, that is what works to create the change, but that's not a commonly known alternative. It's not in the oeuvre. It's not famous or popular yet. Um, yeah, I feel like I went a little bit down a rabbit hole. Did I answer uh, the question? No, I'm there. I'm tracking with okay. you. Let's talk a little bit about these or many of these religious programs. It's a spiritual uh, issue. You know what? You don't have Jesus. You don't have Allah. You don't have Krishna. I don't know. I mean, you don't have some sort of an other third-party force that is helping to center you, and that's why you're miserable. Yeah. Um, all right, I'll just leave it out there. Religious programs, oh, the fundamentalist oh or woo-based religious programs. Your thoughts? Oh my gosh! So it's it's a little bit hard for me to take that at face value because my interpretation is that's just um, the same exact external locus of control that like judgmental dominant. You must do this, but instead of it being the parent saying you must, it's this idea of, you know, the spaghetti monster in the sky saying you must do this. But ultimately it's a, it's, it's out of my hands. Somebody else has to control this. And then it goes to that. I, th a lot of times, especially the Christian programs are, are this very punitive model, but in this case, the punitive model and the abuse is justified because it's biblical. Do you feel like this is authoritarianism over advocacy? Absolutely. There's a great comfort in the idea of there's an external force somewhere with the answers and the solutions, and we can just pawn this problem child off on that. So that kind of relinquishes responsibility from the parents, and, and it makes it seem easy because it's when, within the control of God. And then the next tier down is the adults who are enforcing God's will. So that justifies the torture, the abuse, the physical, emotional, the, just all of it. The, it makes it okay to be abusing kids because you're abusing them to make them do God's will. The approach of coaching or even therapy or any of the sort of more humanist approaches to, to supporting kids, that empowers the teen themselves. That's scary for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. And it's not as simple and easy and like, let me just write this check and then let God handle it. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm really concerned about the attacks as well on self-worth. We see this in those insidious conversion programs or deconversion programs where churches bring in non-heterosexuals and they're like, all right, we need to make you hetero. Uh -huh. And it's a spiritual problem. And this is another great example of making things worse. Often people are so damaged. They're much more damaged by the quote unquote cure, right? Yes. Yes. And and we probably don't want to go here, but the suicide rates are staggering of of kids or adults who kids who are in these programs. And, and especially if it's conversion and the lessons taught in the shame, like deep, 
implanted in a person that what you are is fundamentally wrong. And then adults who get out of these programs and survive into adulthood. But eventually it's like, I can't, I can't live with really, I can't live with understanding that hum humanity is capable of what happened to me in there. Suicide rates are, as I said, they're just staggering. Okay. How do you break out of an abusive controlling cult that's telling you it's helping you? That's my question for Cindy in just a second. Hang on. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talking here with my special guest, Cindy Etler. Her website, CindyEtler.com. C-Y-N-D-Y-Etler.com. She's done a lot of work talking with young people about their journey, their struggles, and perhaps helping them find their own voice and their own way out there. Let's pinball back to you. How'd you get out? You know, you oh are, you know, you're in the whirlwind. You're disoriented. You're miserable. How'd you bust out? The program was in tears. It took me 10 months to get to the second tier when I was allowed to have a conversation with my mother. So 10 months of just being in the warehouse, 12, 16 hours a day. Eventually I made it up to the fifth tier and that's like tears of brainwashing. And when you reach the point where you not only are reciting the party line, but believing it and enforcing it on others, why at the 16 month mark, I was finally freed. I don't have access to my paperwork. I can't say for sure. But when I was researching for my book and the timeline of the investigations that were going on, the lawsuits that were being won, I believe that Straight Incorporated was like narrowing the ranks to lean themselves down. Because what happens with these programs is when they are sued, investigated, shut down, they just quickly pivot, sometimes even in the same building, put up a sign with a new name. They're a new entity. They weren't sued. So when it was really when the fire was really getting hot under straight incorporated, I believe what they were doing was flushing out all the kids whose parents were on the brink of saying, I'm not paying anymore, get rid of them. So when we need to pivot, we only have the, you know, the best of the best, the ones who we can continue to milk a lot of money from. Okay. We've just skipped a rock over a whole other story that I'm not familiar with straight incorporated was under the microscope for oh, yeah. what impropriety what it, what happened early days and i'm not sure if this was the one that kind of started the ball rolling but there was a kid who was held in there he was 18 years old he was signed in at 17 so that was legal for his parents to sign him in then he turned 18 he was like let me out they said no 
So he managed to escape. And the escape stories are phenomenal if if you want to hear about these ninjas who managed to get out. Um, but he managed to escape and he instituted a lawsuit. It was kidnapping. He was over 18. They wouldn't let him leave. He won that. And I'm not sure if that is what really shone the spotlight, but there was a reporter at the Washington Post, Deneen Brown, in, in my facility in Virginia. She was doing great reportage, speaking to the kids who had gotten out, the um, health and human services started to infiltrate. So there was all kinds of investigation, but it took a long time. A now, long was Strait time. Incorporated, was it a church thing or was it a state uh, thing? Uh, who was who were the power players? This is amazing. It was this guy, Mel Sembler. He was a dress salesman. Then he thought, I can make more money selling shopping malls. So he became a shopping mall salesman. Well, he was also friends with the Reagans. Reagan was elected. He was like, you know what, Nancy Reagan, you need a pet project. Don't just pick out China patterns. Why don't you make your project getting kids off drugs? So now we've got the first lady with the Just Say No campaign and Mel Sembler opening warehouses, telling parents, don't you know about Just Say No? Your kid's in a denim jacket. They're a drug addict. Your kid needs straight. That's how it happened. And parents had to go out and recruit more parents to get them to send their kids. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. Bunch of uh, young whistleblowers. That yep. sounds like a movie, doesn't it? it doesn't it? It's, it's, yeah. And it's all true. It's all documented. It's amazing. Talking here with Cindy Etler. She is author of Dead Inside, and We Can't Be Friends, A True Story. Let's start with Dead Inside, theme of the book, and explain the title. Yeah. Okay. So the book is written first person present tense because this is selfish. I had all these memories inside of me. There was no way to convey to people. If I said I was locked up in a drug rehab when I was early teens, they're going to be like, oh, you know, poor little, poor little brat. It wasn't that I needed to convey what I experienced in there to, to get it out of my system. The only way I could do that was by writing this book in a way that takes readers in and puts them through it. So when you read this book, you're a, you're a 14 year old, like experiencing the horror, experiencing the, bra experiencing the brainwashing. Early in the book, when I first got in there, I'm looking around, I'm looking at these kids. I'm like, these, these are not kids. These are not my peers. There's nothing in their eyes. They're dead inside. So that's where the title came from. And it's true. I mean, we were human zombies. It, it, Written Look up off the images. in many ways, probably, right? Oh, totally. Uh, Literally you'll never amount to anything. Focus your energies over here. At least they've got potential, right? Exactly. exactly. So, I, I mean, not to be too self-serving, but I mean, I feel that when I was writing my autobiography, some of it was mm -hmm. all of this is going on in my head to say I deconverted is a bullet point. Right? It doesn't. It's not the story. Plus, taking that journey helped me in some ways. The process sounds so freaking, you know, it sounds like Hallmark movie, but the process helped me yes. in my journey out. And yes, that sounds like it was the case for you. Totally. It's crazy. There are so many people, adults, you know, who are straight survivors and they're struggling. And like, I have these memories and what am I supposed to do with this? And I'm kind of like, wow, I got these wings. I don't know how. And it finally hit me. I, I got these wings by shitting it out of my brain onto paper. So it's kind of irrelevant if it's published, if anyone reads it, I got wings. I got out by writing it. The uh, book, We Can't Be Friends, A True Story. What's that about? That's about getting out of the place. So when you 
are a teenager and you're locked in a warehouse for 16 months, right? And you are suddenly out. You're a fucking weirdo. You are a we- I was a cult kid. I was weird. So I go back, I get hit, you know, flicked like a booger off of God's finger back to my druggy high school where everyone is demonized for me. And all these kids who haven't seen me for six months are like, you're here. What's up? And I'm like, I cannot talk to you. You are not in my best interest. That was that was my suicidal phase. So it was about getting out of there, going back to the high school. And then what got me really what saved me, which was an English teacher who saw something good in me. She was like, yo, you're a good writer. And that for me was, oh, I'm good at something. Oh, I suddenly saw a future. I had a goal. I'm going to become a writer. And that's I didn't kill myself because fuck that. I'm going to become a writer before I go. And that's what the research shows works for creating change for struggling kids. If you can help them tap into something they give a shit about, that they care about and want to work to work toward. And from there, okay, so, you know, doing what you're doing, is that going to get you? And it's not this simple. It's It can't be instructive like this, but boiled down. Help them find something they're excited about and want in the future and help them figure out what's it going to take to get there they realize, oh, stealing these cards and, and you know, wake and bake every single day, that's not going to get me to this goal. Let's figure out what is going to get you there. So now they have a motivation to try to change the behavior. Oh, I, totally I think one of the greatest killers of people is a, uh, is having no sense of purpose. If, yeah. In a totally unrelated context, I always say that retirement is the biggest killer of older people, right? Yes. Because you lose your sense of what am I contributing and you end up just sitting around inside the walls doing nothing. Natalie's like, well, you ever think about one day retiring? And I'm like, I'm never going to retire. Like, because I need a sense of purpose. And I think allowing that to happen in people of all ages, specifically, especially young people. I mean, that's huge. That's huge. By the way, I have to say this. Flicked like a booger off of God's (laughs) finger has to be the title of your next book. Uh, for real. It has for to real. be. I would buy that book. I would actually buy the audio book just to hear you <laughs> say it over and over and over again. Let's put a punctuation mark on this conversation. I got young people and parents of young people, associates of young people who have experienced all kinds of trauma. They were sitting mm-hmm. across from you just in a general sense. What would you say? Can you give me at least a, I don't know, a broad word about purpose and healing and recovery and their futures yeah 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 yeah. the first thing when i'm talking to to kids the first thing i say is i care like i am here i'm out here you can find me easily on the internet i am here and i care that is the biggest thing that um is at the root of so much of of little kid and teenage kid struggle is feeling like they're alone so there's that and the next one is just like just like me realizing, oh, I'm good at writing. Oh, that's something I could do. The question is for the kid, okay, whatever you're doing right now, it makes sense. You're trying to survive. You're trying to meet a need. Okay, no shame on that. Let's think about what you love doing. What do you really love doing? What thrills you? What could you do for hours? Once you get clear on that, okay, is that a thing you might like to pursue in the future? Is that a, is that a, you know, could you do that for the rest of your life? If you find a thing you love doing and could do for the rest of your life, the next question is, so wait, how about you research and find out what it would take to get there? 
and start taking tiny, tiny little steps toward that. Just easy stuff. Just easy stuff. Read about it. See if there's someone you can reach out to to say hi. That's the ladder up and out. What I really like is that you're not patting them on the head going, you poor, poor young person. We tend to see a lot of young people minimized, you know, oh, come on, Mm. you're just a kid. And I just think that's the worst as if their struggles aren't legitimate. Got to make you crazy. I say hell no. I, I say to kids in the first session, you can say anything here. I judge adults, not kids. Like teenagers are badass. They're at that crackling point of they don't care what you think. They're exploring what they're interested in. I, I tell them don't change because where kids are at when they're adolescents, whatever they're doing, that's that's the badass phase. That's the I don't give a fuck. I'm doing my thing phase. <laughs> I don't need the adults. Keep the adults. Just give me all the teenagers. <laughs> Seriously, where's the lie? You know, I'm right. Where is the lie? Mm-hmm. How do people find you in your books and your work, Cindy? Oh, I mean, you can just look up Cindy Etler. C-Y-N-D-Y <laughs> Etler. That's easy. The Teen Life Coach is my coaching website. My books are dead inside and we can't be friends. I will put those links in the description box. Been a lot of fun, been informative and hopefully helpful to everybody watching and listening. Cindy, thanks so much for talking to me. Awesome. Great talking to you. Follow The Thinking Atheist on Facebook and Twitter. For a complete archive of podcasts and videos, products like mugs and t-shirts featuring the Thinking Atheist logo, links to atheist pages and resources, and details on upcoming free thought events and conventions, log on to our website, thethinkingatheist.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.